Hello and welcome to the I Do Consent podcast with me, your host, Jen Wilson, also known as Irregular Jen. Season 2 is here with the Consent Compass launching on the International Day of Consent, 30th of November, 2023, continuing this work to platform consent as a practice and a tool for making positive changes from the personal to the global. Thanks for listening in. Welcome to I Do Consent. This recording is happening in November 2021. In conversation with me today is Christopher Green, a writer and performer whose credits include Tate Britain, Tate Modern, the Royal Shakespeare Company, the Guggenheim in New York and BBC Radio 4. Alongside writing radio dramas, creating and performing in experimental performances on stage and screen, current groundbreaking work on an online immersive game about residential care homes and much, much more, Christopher performs in cabaret as characters such as country music singer Tina C and rapping pensioner Ida Barr. I've long admired Chris's work and even once appeared in a cabaret lineup alongside Ida Barr. But Chris and I only started talking after they published an article in the Stage newspaper early this year which we'll talk about today. Consent in the context of performance and the pressure of the assumption that the show must go on. So Chris, um, the article um, that you wrote on this stage, for, for people listening, and we'll, we'll put a link um, attached to this um, podcast so people can read it if they want to but I'm going to assume most people haven't read it can you just sort of give us a bit of a summary of what you were covering there yeah absolutely um, so I decided that I wanted to write about being um, uh, so, being suffering sexual violence um, in uh, a dressing room prior to a performance uh, in 2018 so it took me quite a long time to be able to talk about it and write about it uh, in a in a fully public way. Um, and uh, but I'm very glad that I did, and I'm very glad that I got to the place of being able to to articulate that in a way that was useful um, for me, and and therefore I hope useful for for other people. Like I didn't I didn't I didn't want to make a piece of work out of it. I didn't want to write a I don't know a memoir or a novel or a play or anything. I just wanted to be very specific and say in an industry newspaper, this is what happened to me. And this is how I think it could have been better. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's really clear. And I think there's a huge pressure on us sometimes as performers and artists and writers to make work out of our experience. And actually, you know, when a tra- an experience is traumatic, there's no reason at all why we should do that. Yeah, and of course I might, and I might in the future, I might, it might become something else, it might, you know, transform into, into, into another piece of work, but, but for now, um, I definitely wanted it to be, um, to be the, the start of a conversation for, for other people and certainly for industry professionals. Mm-hmm. 
So in terms of what happened to you, and I don't want to go into the incident, of course, um, there there are some things about um, the kinds of conditions we work under generally mm. as cabaret artists, um, you know, because I'm a performer myself as well. Um, often our changing rooms are not changing rooms. They are toilets or offices down a funny corridor mm-hmm. um you know and this might be even in spite of having contracts that require a, a locked dressing room yeah. what are some of the assumptions and expectations you've found kind of around those practicalities of performing in cabaret and club spaces yeah i mean i've experienced all of those things um, and many more eccentric ones over, over the years and um a lot of the time being very um unquestioning about how okay that was and sometimes have have questioned it and gone oh, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this and never really felt able to to um to say oh is there something else i don't this isn't this isn't good enough and as you was alluded to um i think the one of the big things i struggled with um in the aftermath and in the in the sort of difficulties i had in the in the phase of 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 trying to come to terms with the trauma. Um, one of the places I got stuck was around this idea of why must the show go on? Why was it so clear to me that I had to um, pull myself together and I had to go out and, and perform, which is what I did. And so that's obviously a very specific um, set of circumstances. It happened before a performance. Uh, I had time to pull myself together and to, you know, repair my makeup and, you know, all of that and then and then go and do a show. And the only way I could take control was to say, I'm going to go on stage and I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to do the best show I've ever done. But it never did it occur to me to to say no. I'm not doing it. And um, and I think obviously that was something for me to get over with with therapy and stuff. But I think then I started to extend it wider because I think so many times in my career, which is, you know, I've been performing in, in cabaret for a long time, over 20 years, so many times. Uh, I would say, oh, can I, can I not get changed in the in the accessible toilet? Can, is there anywhere else? And they go, no, I'm sorry. So, um, yeah. So it was clear that then the show wouldn't happen. And um, and never would I have put myself, my needs above the show. And um, why not? Like, it's just a show. <laughs> it's just some jokes and some comedy songs and me looking pretty. Do you know what I mean? Like, people will survive without that happening. And I think maybe the pandemic and and me too and many other things have made us go there's more important things um and i think i had bought that whole kind of hollywood notion the show must go on and also the pressure that we get from producers um and and, and promoters to you know to put the, the 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 work first over and above ourselves and i think i was at a stage well i think what happened to me was so extreme that i couldn't avoid it any longer but um i was also at a stage in my career where performing was becoming much less important anyway mm-hmm. so that um, I was able to now make the make that step back yeah I think that's that's so th- there is that sense as, as a freelancer as an emerging performer uh, well even not as an emerging performer that um, none of us want to get get the reputation of being a right diva and, yes, you know, absolutely. And those div- those div- that diva trope is so embedded in the mm-hmm. in the culture, which is, of course, deeply misogynist and, you know, 
know, transphobic and all those kind of things as well. You know, like, you know, like, why are you automatically deeper if you say, I don't feel safe here (laughs) or this is too dirty? Is there somewhere else? But, um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think I had already, as I said, had started to step back from that kind of desire to sort of like please everyone and also just to put the show first. I think also, as you say, you're right to question emerging performers. Of course, younger performers are under a lot of um, stress um, about about just going along with with the the prevailing um, practice. Um, but also, what I found was that at certain times in in my career it was the sort of like middle range ones. It was the high pressure ones, and the the place where it actually happened to me was when I was being paid a lot, a lot of money to perform at a private party. And that was a huge stress. And we were being put up, me and my um, me and my husband, my then husband, we were being put up on, on a week's holiday. It was all part of this whole complicated emotional relationship that I, I felt very kind of under pressure to fulfill my part in if you know what I mean so these there's often the relationships are quite complex and and I know there's been times I I can remember another time with Tina C where I didn't want to go on stage but I was employing a band um so I often used to work with a band so I had four people literally who I was paying that night and so if I called the show off and we didn't get paid I would then what do, do I then pay them or do they not get paid in solidarity to me? Do you know what I mean? Like there's often emotional complexities. Um, and I never really question that. And I would do that now. I would say to them, this is more important than, than, than us getting, you know, some money for a gig. I think you're absolutely right. It's um, in terms of the framework that I use discussing consent, the Fry's framework. This, which I loved, and uh, this was new to me, and, and you went through it with me, and I, yeah. and I was very grateful, and I'm, I've gone back to it several times since we spoke. But sorry. Right. Um, I mean, I think a lot of this comes under the the F really of freely given. That actually we say yes to things in the moment because of all of those pressures and complicated relationships and feelings that we're letting people down, and it, it, you know, saying no is so hard when all of those things are stacked up to, to you know, that th- what will happen to my career, what will happen to my colleagues, what will happen to the relationships around this situation? W- you know, will I get a reputation of being a diva? Will I lose money? Will I ever work again? All of that stuff around it is huge and, and really difficult to be in full consent in, in with all of that around in our heads. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, there's that sort of context, broader context as well of what's going on in your own head, what's going on in your interpersonal relationships, what's going on at a sort of group employment, social structure sort of level. And then those bigger cultural messages like you just alluded to, you know, the the misogyny and transphobia in some of those tropes about letting letting the show down and the, the show must go on as well. Yeah, and I think I would also add to that this sort of spirit of um, in cabaret, um, a, a comedy 
which is what where I centered a lot of my work for a long time, is that there's this sort of prevailing thing that it's fun that, and that the fun extends to backstage as well. And yeah. don't get me wrong, of course, it, it is fun. But, um, you know, doing a, in the same way that doing a serious play is fun. You know, like you have fun backstage when you're doing a tragedy, but but it's not an automatic given that the sort of like exuberance and anything goes um, atmosphere that on the stage then should extend to the to the dressing rooms and definitely shouldn't, mm. um, I think. And and I think one of the things that I wrote about was, was this idea of. Um, you know the the boundaries of like oh my friends are in the dressing room just hanging out and I definitely over the years have felt very uncomfortable with people kind of watching me there was like oh it's amazing watching you put your makeup on and I'm like please don't mm. um and, and then oh wow I can't believe that you got I watched you get changed from that into this and I'm like why are you watching me get changed go away like this is not this is not the show and mm. um and, and just that whole thing of like when you're not in the mood to find things funny <laughs> which is um and I think it's something I struggle with like why why am I so miserable why am I a miserable person <laughs> and it's not it's like I'm preparing to work um, so I don't want to be cracking jokes the whole time and being, you know, there for public consumption. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear to me that a lot of the time in my career I should have had dressing rooms on my own, which is a, a lot of the time is what I did. Um, and I've done various group shows. Um, the, 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 did a big ducky show that, that ran for years and with four of us in it. And, and it would often be the whole team in one dressing room and me in another. Mm. Not because I'm so antisocial, but, but that I just, my preparation is to be quite quiet and to be withdrawn and to be a bit uh, private, maybe. Um, and everybody's different. And I think, uh, it, I would absolutely say to, newer performers to listen to that and it's absolutely fine to to ask for that yes um, and yeah so it's of course it's complicated and it's net you can't 100 percent uh, get that right but it does start to feed into basic safeguarding and that's of course where where we started which is basic safeguarding we have the right at work to not be an, an, an under threat of you know sexual violence Absolutely. It's interesting working with organisations and um, venues and so on, producers perhaps, around what consent means. Usually most people's understanding of consent when I'm starting that work with them is that it's about safeguarding. It's a simple yes or no compliance, legal tick boxing type of exercise uh, but hopefully by the time I've finished working with them they have more of a sense of it being part of a practice part of an ethos part of a a way of working as an organization in the same way that we're talking more and more about diversity and inclusion and access and all of those things which are so important in um in all industries and especially in in, in our arts industry um that I uh, I think that these boundaries around consent, um, they're much much deeper than a tick box exercise and, and a safeguarding policy. Are there are there any sort of solutions and uh, and recommendations that you might sort of want to suggest in there? Oh well, I mean I I thought very carefully about how I wrote my piece in the stage and I'm not saying that's all I've got to say but but the, the the very practical things were 
around um, security, for example. You know, just really basic, quite sensible things. Like if you've got a security guard, train them on, like, on what the policy is. Mm. Um, and I wrote that what happened to me um, when I started performing, because obviously a lot of us, uh, most of us have had a big break because of COVID. And um, and so uh, and 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 that was well timed for me in many ways. Um, but when I started performing again, and it happened that I did uh, Brighton Festival and Brighton Fringe um, in May, and so those were my first sort of big gigs back. And and there were incidents in both. And in one of them, the security security guard let someone through because they said they knew me. And so these people walked into the dressing room. They did know me, but I hadn't seen them for ten years. Mm. And so they walked into the dressing room where I'd just come off stage and was basically just in my underwear. And and they were like, hi, remember us? And I was like, go out of here, get out of here. And so then there was a discussion about, well, what is, you know, it's just very basic good practice. Mm. You know, if, if if the security then work out what it's for. And then the other um, the other thing was... Um, uh, my, putting my name on a dressing room that that was was publicly accessible, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it's like, wow, this is not playing at showbiz. Do you know what I mean? It's not like pretending you're doing you're organising a film shoot <laughs> and, and putting the character name on a door yeah. like that anyone can walk through, yeah. you know, which they did. And um, you know, so those are just such basic things. And I think. No, uh, people were just sort of like, oh, this is exciting. We're putting on shows. This is wonderful. You know, and these are quite high level organizations. But they um, but there's not the starting from the position of how do we keep the performer safe, which is not to live in a place of of fear the whole time. But it's just basic. I mean, like you might you wouldn't put a sign on a door. Like if your if your friend came to your house, I'm going to haven't thought this through. But if your friend came to your house and said, oh, I just bought a new a new outfit. Can I go and get changed? You wouldn't immediately say, yes, go and use the loo. And then write, put a big notice up saying, um, you know, Tiffany, get naked in here. Do you know what I mean? You might as well do that, haven't you? It's like it's like let's employ just like basic common sense. You know, open the door to the street. Anyone? This is in here. You know, it's like just basic common sense. But for some reason, these kind of showbiz tropes have got in the way. Yeah. And, and really hearing that thing you were saying before about people thinking that they have access to you because you're a performer. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not as, as as well known as you but in, you know, in the in the parts of the world where I'm a little bit well known. I do get all kinds of random people coming up to me demanding to have their photo taken with me or to you know or thinking that they know me as a person and actually they've you know they've met the characters I play that yes those characters come from me but they're not who I am by any stretch of the imagination and it sure, absolutely and I really understand that and I think there's a I mean this is a whole other discussion a whole other podcast probably but um but the you know there's a reason why people create characters and that's what that's what our instinct is and that was definitely my instinct was to create characters I I couldn't really interrogate that um in in the early days but that is you know it, it that was very clearly an act of self-protection um and so um, and so then to have that kind of like all those boundaries overstepped is actually really quite problematic. And one of the things that I hadn't realised in that, that Tina was my first character and um, it, it, that just how problematic I'd made my life in, in, in being 
a, a very, very attractive, you know, this was the point of, I'm not saying I was inherently attractive, but that was the point of Tina. It was that she was beautiful. She believed she was beautiful. She, that she told everyone she was beautiful. People perceived her as beautiful and, um, and, and sexual, you know, mm. and, um, people, people took that and people took, did all sorts of things to me while posing for photographs, um, mm. as I walked past and all this kind of stuff. That, that that I don't know why I let happen for so long. Um, Ooh, there's some really interesting stuff there around um, gender and social scripts about how it's acceptable to behave around people's perceived gender. So I, I perform as Misty Valentine, who is a drag queen character. Um, I'm a cisgender woman. Um, and I've had I had an instance I I often play um, Copacabana and I get a, a Rico and a Tony out of the out of the audience to dance with me and I encourage the Rico character to sort of grab my ass as part of the act and and I'm in control of that on the stage and it's it's quite a safe thing for me to do and for and for them I'm conscious of their physical boundaries as well. And then I went back into the dressing room, took all my drag makeup off, came out appearing like an actual woman, not a pretend performer of a woman. And the the guy who played Rico went, oh, my God, you're a woman. I'm so sorry. If I'd known you were a woman, I would never have grabbed your ass like that. Yeah. Like, what is going on there yeah. that people think it's OK with certain bodies to... Um, cross boundaries and perform, per, per, per act in certain ways and not with others oh my word there's so much there yeah, yeah. and the, and i think for me one of the um slow unfoldings of um the aftermath of what happened to me was to see that as an uh as many many things that act um that was that that happened um that um to see that as an as an act of misogyny and as i said transphobia definitely and homophobia like all of these things and that really sort of led me into unpicking a lot of my instincts about doing tina why did i start doing tina what did i put up with what did i want what did i want to attract what did i want to repel in what way did i want to put my body into a public space you know all of these things and slowly 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 has led to me kind of deciding to um be describe myself as non-binary to to really embrace what that means and so in some ways um uh and and to stop doing tina like to stop performing as tina which uh, I, I was on the road to doing that anyway so it's not like just an immediate but that definitely hastened me down that road uh -huh. um, and and so some and maybe I don't need Tina anymore because what I was manifesting in the world that femininity that I wanted to manifest in the world that beauty if you like um was uh, I maybe don't need and I bring that to the world anyway now which is which is really really good but um, anyway, I don't want to make it sound like I'm glad it happened because I certainly am not. But do you know what I mean? Like, of course, we learn from it. And that is a human narrative that we all need, that we need to, to, to understand that it has taken us down a road. But I would definitely encourage other people to sort of just question what are the compromises they're making? And if the compromises around your physical um presence in the world and therefore the people that feel ownership over that as you articulately put it that just to question that and say 
why are you compromising on that? And you don't have to compromise on that. You mm. can still be a really great performer without compromising on any of that. You can still be liked, like you say. Producers can still think of you as being great, you know, and friendly and fun, you know, without you being... Yeah, you're not going to be sort of always like the kind of militant figure. But mm. you, can, you just have boundaries more for yourself than for anyone else. I think also maybe... Um, you know, I think it's great you've written the article and I know that there's been quite a bit of positive response to that from people who want to work with you to improve conditions in our industry. Um, and, and that's an ongoing conversation you and I can have as well. Yeah. Um, but I think um, that there's that there are those practical things that, that we can all do of kind of asking for those needs up front and being quite assertive about them. Um, means, you know, if we all do it, then nobody's the diva in inverted commas. Absolutely. And so collective, of course, it's the way it's been since the, since the beginning of collective, collective labor. <laughs> you know, if we if we if it just becomes the norm, then, you know, then it becomes it just becomes easy and straightforward. And the more people, you know, more people put their pronouns on, on Zoom calls, then the, then the less of an issue it is for for for. For, for some people to whom, whom whom may have unusual pronouns so yeah it's just these 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 industry norms are just so yeah we need to work together mm. yeah. i and think it's quite an exciting time actually i do feel that those changes are happening and although there's a lot of um resistance and polarization and um in particular the trans communities are really suffering with that at the moment I do feel like we're making progress and and and, and broadening um, understandings and breaking down assumptions in ways that we haven't for a long time. Yeah, That's there's a lot of there's sort of these howls of pain that are going up, and because change is painful, mm. and um, but yeah, we have to sort of we have to hear them, uh, but maybe not pay too much attention. <laughs> do you know as much as we're able? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, well, is, are there, is there anything else you wanted to sort of add in our conversation before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I mean, those are, those are the basics and, and those are the, um, yeah, the massive issues that, that, that I know you and I are both very interested in. And as you say, I'm, I, I don't want this to take over my, my work, but I am kind of working with various people just to sort of let this unfold and, um, um, and I, I am like you excited at this at this change, this period of change because I think um, good things will result. And this is the one thing when we, when when you're lucky enough to have been working in an industry for a long time, you do look back and go, oh, there's been a lot of change. Change mm -hmm. is very possible. It's sometimes we feel like change isn't. Things have changed so much in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And if if we stay positive and just all push um in the way that that makes sense we can we can really affect very positive change um working together so yeah i i feel i feel hopeful yeah definitely hopefully people will take this as a a podcast of hope um in in the maelstrom of things around us so just just to wrap it up thank you very much christopher green is just our kind of quick fire last question if you have one message, one sentence for the International Day of Consent. What's your, what would your one sentence message be? 
Oh, I mean, this is probably really obvious, but the consent isn't just around sex, consent and, and, and those kind of boundaries or physical safety or whatever, that consent in so many ways. Um, and um, one of my, the things that I can't bear, somebody did it to me the other day in John Lewis, other department stores are possible, but um, there's really quite snooty, um, I was going to say middle-aged woman, my age, um, uh, pushed past me to get something. She said, you don't mind. And I'm kind of like, there's something for me, consent is around that notion of you don't mind. Mm. Like, don't tell me I don't mind. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and then it led me to, I was initially sort of irritated by it. And I was like, I can't bear that you don't mind kind of entitled attitude. And then I was like, what are the ways in which I sort of do that to people in an unspoken way? Mm. And, the, and the, in what way can we just like say, is this okay? <laughs> you know, and then tiny ways like, you know, is, is it okay to call you this? Is it okay to call you by your name? You know, all of these different kind of tiny ways in which we can ask for consent and negotiate consent across all areas of life. So there you go. Yeah. Absolutely great. Thank you so much, Christopher Green. It's been a delight talking to you today for the I Do Consent podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the I Do Consent podcast. Please like, share and bring your comments or questions about anything that you've heard on the podcast to me, Jen Wilson, on social media as Irregular Jen or Find me on the web at irregular.org.uk forward slash I do consent. You can sign up for the mailing list and find out more about the frameworks, training, support and other things available for practicing consent and to support the International Day of Consent. Please also visit idoconsent.org. And remember, keep it curious, kind and consensual. <laughs>